Welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. I'm Rachel Telford. And I'm Megan Wright. The Grain Talk podcast can be found on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform. In this episode of Grain Talk, we feature a special post-election roundtable with Grain Farmers of Ontario Chair Marcus Hurl, CEO Barry Senf, and Government Relations Manager Deb Conlon. The federal election was held on Monday, October 21st. The Liberals held onto power with 157 seats, giving them a minority government. The Conservatives increased their seat count to 121. The resurgence of the Bloc Québécois saw them return to official party status with 32 seats, taking over several of the seats that had been held by NDP and Liberal politicians during the last four years. The NDP managed to retain 24 seats across the country. The Green took three. With a minority government, there is a need for coalition building and cooperation between parties. What form that will take is yet to be seen. During this podcast, we will discuss how Grain Farmers of Ontario will work with the minority government, how we will work to pursue action on our election asks, and the challenges presented with the urban-rural and east-west divide that is evident from the election results. On the podcast today, as a follow-up to Monday's election, we will be doing an election roundtable. And with us, we have our chair, Marcus Hurl, um, CEO Barry Semp and our Manager of Government Relations Deb Conlin. So to start off, uh, maybe we'll start with you Deb, we can get some general impressions of what you guys thought of the election results. Well, uh, I think um, from my perspective, uh, there's uh, with a minority um, and the and the seat allocations as they are, we're going to see a lot of uh, horse trading um, to hold on to uh, power. So um, everyone's platform, every party's platform is really going to matter, I think. Um, And we're probably going to see, I heard someone uh, say this morning, probably some more partisan um, type decision making um, because people are going to be preparing for going back um, out there uh, to try and get reelected, and they want to score some points for their individual parties. So it's going to probably be... uh, a really interesting time um, while uh, while the uh, liberals hang on to this uh, minority. And Marcus, any thoughts? Yeah. Uh, so, in my perspective, I think uh, there might be opportunities for uh, certainly agriculture to maybe get a bit more pressure to the the government since it's a minority. I I would say that we're going to have to work with uh, all parties that uh, that came out in a good fashion that uh, I think the um, we certainly shouldn't forget about the NDP and the uh, the block party of how how they're uh, going to be ha- engaging in the uh, policy making going forward and I think uh, we're going to have to uh, maybe strengthen our voices towards them to make sure that uh, we're heard and uh, the government, uh, the Liberal Party they're going to be watching every move that everybody makes because uh, it's, it can lead to their downfall. And um, so we, as agriculture, since we were not mentioned in any of the platforms from any party, uh, I think we do have to be vocal. We have to be out there and present 
and uh, show our needs because uh, none of the uh, the parties have shown that they're willing to address our shortfalls that we're having, especially around trade. And uh, that certainly needs to be brought up uh, with uh, towards this new government and uh, all parties that are in the House today. Okay, and Barry? The only thing new from the day before yesterday is that it's a uh, minority government, and uh, the issue is can we use that somewhat to our advantage. Um, the issue, um, you know, as Marcus pointed out, agriculture wasn't in any of the platforms, which is, uh, is, which is really um, uh, sorry to see. Uh, you know that we, uh, GFO, put a, an emphasis, spent significant uh, resources uh, to put uh, the grain industry into uh, into the election discussion, but, uh, you know, and no matter what party it was, other than the block party, uh, the block leader raising the soybean issue in the uh, leaders' debate, uh, agriculture was non-existent in any of those, uh, in any of those platforms. So, um, you know, I know listeners will have their bias as far as uh, who they were cheering for going uh, into uh, yesterday's election, but, um, the issue is that agriculture's got a big job, no matter what the party is in government, of trying to get agriculture on their radar. And um, and again, uh, as Marcus pointed out, can we use the minority government as a uh, as a leverage to uh, to get them to address some of the issues that are important to our uh, farmer members? Barry, I think that that's quite evident when we take a look at the election results, and in particular the the maps that we see online where quite distinctly we see again that urban rural divide which i know after the last election we commented on in terms of it being quite the stark contrast that we, we definitely see the conservative versus liberal or rndp um and those strongholds in in sort of the urban centers so when we talk about increasing awareness about agriculture issues are is there still work to do when it comes to addressing that urban rural divide well i think i think there is i think from a public trust perspective there's always that issue of uh Putting um, putting agriculture more on the agenda, I think from getting um, from getting support for what you know farmers are now facing the uh, the implications of the of the trade war that's going on. Uh, it really doesn't matter what party it seems to be um, uh, in power or discussing it. They just they you know they just don't seem to care and. Uh, They'll make passing comments about how important agricultural is, but then when it comes to doing something about it, it's um, it's uh, it's quiet. So, um, you know, I think no matter what party is in in government, it's a challenge um, to um, to get this on their on their radar. You know, we talk about um, you know whether the, if the conservatives would have got elected, would have. Uh, that been any different as far as uh, agricultural or issues? Well, I'm, I'm not sure because it was the Conservative government that made the cuts to egg stability from the 85 to 70 percent. And I think uh, former Minister of Agriculture Jerry Ritz was on Twitter here not long ago defending those cuts. So uh, we can't rely on one party being more supportive of agriculture than another party. And again, uh, as mentioned, maybe this minority government, uh, we can figure something out that uh, that helps uh, put agriculture and the grain industry on the radar screen. 
Marcus, do you have any thoughts along the urban-rural divide? Yeah, uh, it certainly was uh, very present, that divide, again, I think, through the whole election uh, period, because uh, even though in the rural ridings, I've never seen so little engagement with ag- the agriculture sector uh, as it happened this uh, during this election period uh, from the local uh, candidates and uh, I, what I see happening here is we do need to be more uh, vocal towards our uh, consumers. Uh, we need to educate them more and more that, uh, like Barry said, the public trust part is certainly not going, going away and it's showing up more and more as we're getting finger pointed uh, because of so-called climate change, so-called uh, emissions, and uh, what agriculture can do and must do. But the general public doesn't seem to be aware about uh, how modern agriculture is evolved and how much more we're already doing. And I think on the political level, they're, they're not seeing that either. So that's why they're still continuing downloading any of those so-called um, issues that uh, public and industry and agriculture has to, uh, to find a common path uh, down more to the easy path, which is agriculture. So uh, what I hope through all this election change, uh, that there might be a minister that's going to be out uh, and representing our industry and being our spokesperson. And uh, if not, well, we certainly have to leverage our um, uh, our opposition parties to get to get us on the radar screen on that on that front. Now uh, it's not going to be a simple task. It's not going to be uh, without putting a lot of effort behind. But uh, we cannot afford losing any more time behind it. So uh, I think there's a, a big part from everybody in ag to be vocal and be outspoken. And like I did this morning, I. I actually uh, wrote the text to my uh, MP that was uh, re-elected, and uh, I told him that the issues that we were that we are facing need to be addressed, and I'm leaning towards him to working with us to get them addressed, and that, that they uh, that they become a forefront issue for the government of today, because uh, they are elected to do that kind of a work for us especially the ones that are out in the rural ridings that uh, uh, that need the, the votes to get into power. So uh, let's use that to our benefit, too, and hold them to it. So, so I just want to follow up on uh, Marcus's comment about the ag industry needing to be uh, more vocal, and, of course, I agree 100%. But the issue for not to defend the government, but to, um, you know, to uh, when, when the when agriculture is going to be more vocal, they have to have one message that they're portraying to to either the political parties or to the government. And, um, you know, just on the trade issue, for example, where there's differing opinions uh, throughout Canada about how the government should address, uh, you know, the uh, the commodity prices that are being affected by the trade war, there's, there's differences of opinion on that. And so... You know, yes, we have to be more vocal, but we also have to uh, have to have one message coming from the grain industry on these issues, and not um, 
not uh, look divided and let the politicians do nothing uh, about it. I think that's one of the one of the issues that uh, has haunted us for a long time, and it continues to haunt us as we uh, we look towards government advocacy. We even see some of that bearing on social media when we talk about uh, again the consumers versus farmers and some of the language that is used isn't always necessarily in our best interest and we saw some of that this morning at least I did when I was looking on Twitter in terms of um, the discontent that there is the fact that the Liberals do have a minority government because a lot of people in Western Canada in rural Ontario were hoping for that conservative you know the conservatives to take over over the the government but um, that didn't happen and so there's there is some anger and there's maybe some words being said on social media that again aren't helping that uh, urban rural divide i think um barry's point about the fact that it wouldn't matter which party was in charge we weren't seeing a lot of uh commitments around our trade war fund uh request right um the bloc quebecois um, mentioned it in the debates that China was an issue for soybean growers. Uh, nobody picked up on that uh, in the debates or in any of their platforms. And this rural-urban divide, as you said, Rachel, isn't new, right? Um, and uh, the voice that we have as an industry needs to get out there, and it needs to get out there to the people who are Um, making the decisions about um, what the next government is going to look like. It's one of the reasons that we decided to uh, run some advertisements online this year about (coughs) the impact of um, the China-U.S. trade war and the impacts of the um, chilled relationship between uh, China and Canada as a result of the Huawei arrest. And we ran these ads for this very reason that if you engage the public on these issues, our issues, then they they get an opportunity to try and understand them and then potentially become an advocate for us at some point. That is very true. And Barry and Marcus, you both mentioned the importance of having good people to work with in government, people that are um, actively supporting agriculture. And so Federal Ag Minister Marie-Claude Bebeau, she was re-elected in her riding However, we did see some other cabinet ministers that were not re-elected, so we can expect there will be a cabinet shuffle. Um, so just talking about Marie-Claude Bibeau, did you? how did you guys find working with her um, while she was in office? Barry, you could start. Yeah, I think Marcus, um, Marcus likely had more uh, interaction with the minister. But what I, uh, you know, in the couple of meetings that I, uh, I participated in with her, uh, she seemed to... Uh, grasped the issues uh, quite quickly, uh, understood the, um, you know, um, tried to understand the issues uh, around the, um, you know, the situation and the challenges that um, the grain industry uh, were facing. Um, we didn't, you know, again, to the, uh, to the whole issue of compensation because of the trade war, we didn't see much on, uh, on that, but... Um, Oh, I think she, um, she she comes from a rural area, and she's got neighbors that are uh, farmers, and uh, I think she's um, she's got a good grasp of uh, of the industry, and hadn't been in there very uh, and been in there very long before the election. But I know Marcus has had a lot more interaction with her. Yeah, Marcus, what was your experience like working with her? Yeah, like uh, for for me, I think I have to say on that one. Uh, 
the minister is going to be key here of how uh, this is going to flow and uh, our through our engagement that we're going to have with uh, with the uh, the new government because what's going to happen here is um, the spokesperson. Yes, we can do a lot, but as a receptor on the other end, the minister is usually the one that does that. And if uh, that person is open to do something and not just looking out for certain sectors which are protected within a system, that certainly uh, would be a, a well-seen situation because uh, we've been always pushed aside uh, since a long time, and uh, I think it's time that the government recognizes that other industries that uh, have uh, a lot more uh, or generate a lot more farm gate output, uh, certainly on either trade or even uh, on domestic uh, use, uh, need to be acknowledged also, like the grain sector. And uh, uh, it's not only down to the ones that are living under that umbrella of, uh, of protected uh, pro protectionism and uh, that's an important part that uh, the government sees that that we need to be all important within the uh, agriculture field and uh, keep the economy rolling because it's not only what the farmer makes it's also the spin-offs to the rural communities that uh, usually are important for sustaining uh, the small towns the small cities and uh, the businesses around them and, and just to that point is that so it's not only the Minister of Agriculture that's important around that cabinet table, it's the Trade Minister, it's the Economic Development Minister. The wealth that we create um, in agriculture, it, it gets is either taken for granted or really not uh, well understood. And um, and so the minister is important as an advocate for the agricultural industry around the cabinet table. But there is other ministers that got to play their part uh, in the support of uh, of the agricultural industry. We did recently hear, though, from the federal government that they had an acknowledgement of the economic contribution that agriculture does play to our GDP and to the overall success of our economy. And, you know, we took that as a positive sign. I know, Deb, you were doing some some work with that in terms of with the Barton report. Right. Yeah. The um, last liberal government did. Um, did uh, have agriculture as a, a priority agenda item and the fact that they saw the economic opportunity, but um, they haven't really um, responded to the requests for uh, a better business risk management program or um, some support in this issue with China and uh, and our soybeans. The uh, agris stability that they would consider um, uh, a federal um, increase of some funds of some sort. So we don't know what that means. Um, obviously, that's a framework between the provinces and the uh, federal government. And and just to Marcus Danbury's point is you can have a, a great um, minister of agriculture who can be an advocate for you, but you need to line up everybody else around the cabinet table who was also motivated to um, invest in agriculture. And then in the case of business risk management, you need to line up the provinces as well, which is why a singular voice like we've developed with Ag Growth Coalition, for instance, on business risk management is essential. Now, we've mentioned a little bit about uh, the ag platforms that the different parties have had um, 
what were some of the new things that the Liberals were sort of putting out there? We know that we weren't really a big part of their discussions during the, the lead up to the election, but what do we, do we know from their platforms that we maybe can expect this time around? I can't think of anything particularly new other than the, the thing that I just mentioned there with the uh, agri-stability commitment. That is something that we've been working on for the last number of years, working across the country, across uh, commodities to raise the issue with the federal, provincial, and territorial uh, ministers um, to get some kind of an investment into a better um, agri-stability type program. Um, and so that was something positive and new that um, we saw, but it wasn't a, a direct commitment that we can necessarily bank on. Uh, I think the other area with the Liberal government that uh, as a potential opportunity and also with the um, fact that climate change was of the top of the agenda for many of much of the election anyway, uh, is this is uh, a nice sign for biofuels. Um, and the commitment that um, had been initiated with um, over the last couple of years on the clean fuel standard federally. So those are the things I can think of. I think the concern when you think about um, the discussion on uh, science-based regulations and um, plant life technologies or pesticides, there were a number of... Uh, other parties who had raised some concerns and say the CFA debate and uh, and the and within their platform so that is something um, that will also potentially be at risk as we go forward with this new uh, minority government and Marcus Barry any thoughts the, the only thing that I can see that uh, we're hoping that there's going to be some follow-through on some of the asks that came forward to government in the past and uh, that uh, I know the platform seems to be the situation that we have to live with now because uh, since no party really committed to an act platform within itself, uh, we're kind of so dry, you know, we don't really know where they stand. Uh, we know where the government of the past, where the Liberals were uh, before the election was called. But I think uh, now it's important that we see some action happening, even though they didn't have it in the platform, uh, because uh, it, it is important for us as an industry to be recognized as soon as possible, because farmers are starting to hurt out in the countryside because of depressed prices and uh, challenges around regulation and uh, carbon tax and all that stuff. They get It's downloaded directly to the farmer. Um, why don't we chat a little bit about what our election asks were? I know that uh, leading up to the election, we were pretty vocal in terms of letting our former members know what we were asking the candidates to address in terms of um, the need for the trade war fund, uh, climate change. Maybe that's something that we can pick up on a bit now because we haven't really addressed that yet is climate change was a big issue uh, as part of this election. Um, surprisingly, the Green Party didn't really capitalize on that momentum around climate change. But moving forward, as an organization, what is Green Farmers of Ontario hoping to see from this new government in terms of acknowledging that agriculture has a role to play in reducing climate change and also um, in such a way that it's it's more fair for farmers? Um, maybe, Marcus, would you like to start on that? Yeah, so 
this morning, it was quite interesting. The whole discussion started around people acknowledging climate change being an important part, and people voted for change uh, that needs to happen, that we mitigate or that we uh, kind of supply a future for our next generation. Well, yes, that's, uh, we have to think like that. Yes, we have to do all our part. But I think what's, uh, what's happening here, uh, the general public does not understand how much impact that has to a business when a carbon tax is increased or changed and uh, it's not really looked at of the impact level that it will have to that business. So, because um, everybody wants the world at the end, but we cannot always supply that. It has to be realistic. It has to be met by certain targets that are actually doable and not kind of uh, grabs out of the air and hope that they're right and um, that they don't hurt the industries too much. But at the moment, as the things are going to go ahead, like we're going to have uh, three parties in uh, in Ottawa that are that lobbied strongly about uh, carbon carbon tax and carbon change and uh, uh, impact to uh, to the environment, and I think uh, there's going to be a strong voice coming out of this. So how is that going to work with with farming? Like that's uh, the big question of the day. Uh, I, I, I see that being a very costly situation coming the next few years to our industry, not only on uh, taxation, but also on maybe regulations of uh, what we can do and how we have to do certain things. So uh, that, that can hurt us significant, and there's no offset in place that we can bank on to kind of mitigate our impact. So um, I think that question becomes stronger now than it was before uh, because of being first of all a minority government and you have three parties there that are going to be strongly advocating for change yeah i think marcus has made an excellent point and just to uh, from a general perspective you just can't keep adding costs on although they're admirable causes that um, that we all are very concerned about is you just can't keep adding cost farming community and ask them to uh, to bear that without some offset. It's a death by a thousand cuts type of deal. And, um, you know, margins in the grain industry are razor thin. And, you, you know, any one of these may not be looked at as a large increase in, in our costs. When you couple them all up, and what we've known is that, you know, with the higher grain prices that we experienced a, a couple of three years ago over a period of time, our costs went up. But when the commodity prices go down, the costs don't go down along with that. And so any one of these, uh, you know, climate change costs that, um, that, again, people care about, but there's got to be something that takes into consideration the extra costs, and when they aren't taken into consideration, it's just added um, added uh, pressure to those farmers' uh, income, and it's getting as you know, Marcus uh, commented a couple of uh, responses ago. Uh, it's getting to be a serious situation for uh, some farmers, given commodity prices and the cost of putting that uh, that crop in. 
And well, not to mention, farmers are often being asked to pay some extra costs to help deal with climate change, and yet there doesn't seem to be support for the technology that would help farmers themselves deal with the effects of climate change that they're seeing on their farm. So we talk about the lack of support for GMOs, for example, which would allow farmers a better opportunity to deal with a drought situation or wet weather like we've seen in the last couple of years. And so that's part of the conversation as well, where we're asking farmers are being asked to take on some of the extra costs associated with mitigating climate change, but there isn't support for them in other ways uh, to help, you know, like you say, Barry, with the bottom line of their business. And so, Deb, I know that you've done some work with that in terms of uh, of government and and increasing their awareness about the tools that we need. You know, obviously, we, we had the neonic discussion a couple of years ago, um, and that seems to be an, an ongoing battle as well in terms of having the government see our point of view when it comes to dealing with issues like climate change and the tools that we have available. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to what you just, uh, what we're talking about there. I I think the one uh, thing that um, was evident yesterday potentially was there was only really one party who was talking about not doing something about climate change or creating any cost uh, impacts around climate change. That was Maxime Bernier's uh, party, and uh, he didn't fare very well in the polls um, or in the in the vote. Um, uh, each one of the parties that did get seats has a varying degrees of um, support, and and they they increase depending on uh, on which party it is on on the issue. Uh, not a lot of recognition for those costs associated with those commitments. Um, the Liberal Party has made uh, strides towards increasing the biofuel mandate, which is positive for both uh, soy biodiesel and corn ethanol. Um, and so those are good market signals for RM products. Um, on the on the issues around GMOs and pesticides, I found, and I think um, when I looked at all the comments during the CFA debate from farmers across the country, um, there was a lot of people had the same reaction as I did, is it seemed like it was a pretty popular um, uh, thing to say that uh, people didn't support those um, technologies for some of those parties. They were pretty strong. The Liberal Party was pretty even keel on uh, on their support, as I recall, and uh, the Conservative Party was also pretty even keel. The NDP um, person who was there, Alistair from BC, he had some rural connections, so he did a nice job of uh, being uh, of discussing the value of those um, technologies. But um, I think what concerns me is when there is. Um, power uh, at uh, at play here, which is, you know, the liberals hanging on to power. Will there, you know, what will the the things that will be horse traded around that have, um, you know, that might score these uh, smaller parties um, some support with their uh, base, right? So there's what they say, and then what they might do when. Um, when push comes to shove on these issues. I think that would be a concern for me. When we talk as well about the election asks that uh, Green Farmers of Ontario put forward, um, 
opening markets. We talked a bit about the the trade war fund that's needed, but also just the fact that we need those markets to be available to our farmer members. And I know, uh, Marcus, you've been involved in several discussions that involve trade and, and the need to, to have those open markets. Um, what are you hoping to see actually happens uh, after now that the election is over in terms of that particular ask? Uh, that's a, I think that's a very interesting one because it... Uh, it depends how receptive the government will be to uh, to discuss this as quick as possible. And uh, I am certainly relying on uh, some MPP, uh, MPs that were elected that are going to go in, into Ottawa that are our voice coming from the rural communities that will advocate on our behalf because farmers are out there today harvesting their crops on a depressed price, certainly around soybeans, and it has a huge impact to their bottom line. And uh, now we can basically put measures out there to show the hurt to our industry. And what's, uh, what we have to see here is the government never indicated that they're willing of compensating anything around our ass that we put forward. Now, uh, new markets, they're important, yes. Uh, there's no question about it. There's always space out there somewhere. But often enough, you have to underbid your marketplace to be able to get into it. And uh, this year, we do, we are not strong enough in Ontario to do that. So uh, how that's going to work out for us, I'm not 100% sure. But um, it certainly is important that all... Uh, um, I would have to say commodity groups are pulling the same weight going forward. And uh, it's not only provincial, it's also national. And it becomes so much more important in the environment that we're in uh, with the political environment and plus with uh, the challenges that farmers have this year with the harvest and depressed price and, you know, and, and deals even being depressed, of how much more important it becomes that there's something gonna come back to the farmer because there are certain things are really out of our control that uh, the government that's now elected needs to take charge. And uh, they're, they're basically there to do a job. And uh, I, uh, I will be one of them that will be knocking at, uh, at the doors of those MPs and the ministers and uh, to make sure that we get the light of day here uh, because otherwise farmers will have huge impact to their businesses and what that's going to do for their future that's not even known yet yeah you're absolutely right and speaking of getting things done do you think that with a minority government uh, it's going to be more of a challenge now to get agriculture issues um, up front and to get things accomplished uh it won't be a bigger challenge i think we have to use leverage from the uh, other parties that, uh, since a minority government relies heavily on other parties' support, we have to use them as our avenue to get to the uh, ministers that are going to be put in place. Because the pressure is going to be difficult to get to the minority government, but using our others to uh, do that for us, I think it becomes more and more important here. And uh, we should not leave out one party, which is not national, and uh, that's the bloc party. They do have a significant power 
space over in uh, Quebec that uh, we can use as leverage uh, because they are more engaged in the uh, rural aspects than some of the uh, so-called national parties uh, that cover all all Canada. So uh, I think there is a, a door that's uh, that needs to be opened and. Uh, I think it needs to get done as soon as possible. Barry, did you have any comment to add to that? Well, I think just to Marcus's comment, I think we need to be more strategic um, with the minority government and use in what leverage we can with whoever we uh, work with us on that. And I think, as Marcus and I fully agree, that the block is likely one that um, uh, that we can work with our, uh, you know, our our farm organizations, uh, organization partner in Quebec and uh, with the Maritimes and Houston, you know, we've got it. We've um, had an alliance with um, between our three groups uh, over the last number of years, and I think um, that's positive as we move into this new relationship and as we try and leverage uh, uh, these um, parties that hold the balance of power, i.e., the bloc into uh into um you know recognizing agriculture and doing something about it yeah i think uh, both marcus and barry make uh, excellent points there with minority governments um sometimes more can get done so it could present an opportunity for us and i think the block and its commitment um or what we've heard its commitment is on uh, on the issues that are, are most important to us around the impact of trade is a is a positive thing. We've got the relationship with um, Quebec and Atlantic Canada um, that we have had for a number of years now where we go into Ottawa together. I think that increases the value and and the um, of that partnership um, in this current environment. And then I think um, the other thing is, is you could hear from everyone's speeches last night, they're prepping for the next election at some point, and they all saw Quebec as a place um, that obviously they lost some ground, right? So um, they are going to be interested in, uh, in building those bridges, and that's an opportunity for our coalition that we have with uh, with the Quebec grain growers and the Atlantic grains um, to potentially take uh, advantage of the opportunity this current government will have. You mentioned the, the possibility of another election sometime soon. Typically with a minority government, I think they said 18 months is typically how long it lasts. And I know um, voter turnout this time around seemed like it was pretty good, but the number that I saw was about 66% nationally, which was you know slightly lower than the last time, but it, it did seem like more people were coming out to vote. Do we think that if there is another election again soon, that voter turnout could suffer and then that could affect the results? I don't think there's going to be an election um, within a year or 18 months. Uh, this is a strong minority government, and um, I, I think it's this this government could go on maybe closer to a four-year term than that of a year or 18 months. Uh, I um, think this is you know there were only 14 seats, I believe, 14 seats short of a uh, of a majority. So it is considered you know, like they aren't hanging on. Uh, by a threat, uh, this is pretty. They do have a significant minority government, so I, I wouldn't count on an election being held um, in um, 12 or 18 months. 
Yeah, I've, I've heard that as well um, as the analysis is that, you know, just the NDP hasn't got a lot of money, so they're not going to be motivated to go back to the to the polls. Um, the Bloc has just secured seats after a four-seat uh, run there for a while, so they're not going to be interested in going back. Um, the... Uh, I think the wild card here is, and I wouldn't want to take the opposite side of uh, Barry, but I I could see it happening um, sooner if um, if uh, there's trouble uh, in any one of these um, camps, if their leadership is a is challenged or they're unable to keep uh, everybody happy within their caucus, then we'll see uh, see potentially uh, um, an election sooner. As far as voter turnout, just as I was walking in here, I heard Eastern Canada um, by landslide beat the West as far as voter turnout. I read uh, something about that, and I don't know. Uh, you know, um, I, I personally, I think, was less motivated to vote this time due to the lack of, oper- you know, of, of connecting with one party or another's um, platforms, and I think that was the general sentiment out there. So maybe next time somebody will inspire people to get out. I think that's part of the issue too when we look at things through the lens of agriculture, but when we, I guess, step outside and look at some of the other issues that are, are big on the horizon, like a decision on what's going to happen with the pipeline, that could you know impact what happens with the government. And I think that, uh, to your point, Deb, that a lot of uh, people in general just weren't sure who to vote for. Although, it, it like you say, Eastern Canada, I, what I read is that actually Marcus's area was one of the highest voter turnouts uh, across the whole country. So, Marcus, from, from your sense, what's happening there in Eastern Ontario that people were really out to vote this time around? That has to do a lot with uh, people just needing to voice themselves. Because um, I think what happened the last election the uh, the liberal government did a hell of a good job or a liberal party here in our writing they did a very good job of coming out strong and uh, using a lot of issues of the conservatives to their benefit and uh, I think this time around if they they would have had a bit more time I think the conservatives would have had a bit more power but again it um, it is what it is now, but they, uh, in, in a general sense, I'm happy with uh, Francis Troy coming into power again because he's been a great advocate for us, but it all falls down to who he represents and how, he, uh, how, how much he can do for us because, yeah, well, he can be outspoken and say, yeah, I'm going to do this and that, but uh, is he able to deliver? So uh, it's important that the general pu- general public understands what actually a government can deliver within a time period that they're elected for. And um, if that makes it that more people come out, that they have trust, or not even trust, maybe they're, uh, they're voicing their concern, so... Uh, I, I think it all comes down to how well that the, that the elected official actually performs uh, for this time around, because uh, that their time span might be very short-lived if they don't perform the right way. 
Barry, did you get any sense of that from your family out in Saskatchewan in terms of the Western viewpoint on, on whether it was worthwhile to vote or whether they should vote? And I guess just in general, their sense of, you know, I know some of the things that I've read is that people are disappointed that they don't have a larger representation in the government given how many votes did go conservative from that direction. And that's kind of called for renewed calls to, um, you know, change the way our system works here in terms of proportional representation. So do you have, can you give us any sort of a Western perspective on the election results? Well, the, um, you know, we talked about the split, um, but it's, it's both, you know, urban and rural and it's both East and West. The new term uh, that started last night was uh, Wexit and, uh, and about separation of Alberta and uh, maybe Saskatchewan. So, uh, I think, you know, the um, popularity or the uh, lack of popularity of uh, Mr. Trudeau, um, you know, there was there was significant turnout with significant margins by the Conservatives in, uh, in Saskatchewan. And I think, now I'm not sure, I haven't checked this morning, but I think all 14 seats went Conservative where there was uh, three NDP and one, um, one Liberal one prominent liberal with Ralph Goodell losing his seat. And so, um, uh, you know, the pipeline you mentioned, Rachel, was, uh, is an issue out here and uh, the government seemingly lack of, uh, of emphasis to get something done. But people, um, you know, and then personalities have a, have a factor as far as their local candidate. And uh, so there's a number of factors, but I think lack of popularity for Mr. Trudeau in Western Canada was the results were quite evident um, night uh, for them. Deb, looking ahead, um, what do you have planned sort of as some first actions with this new government? Well, I think um, going forward, obviously, trade, um, then the issues from the China, um, stemming out of China for our soybeans and the U.S. getting into our European markets and the overall depressed price, the need to uh, get some compensation for the harm that's taken place to date and uh, potentially some supports going forward, um, either through some kind of a payment or uh, um, some, uh, and also some uh, BRM programs that work. I thought that has to be at the top of our agenda and we need to make sure that that's at the top of the agenda of those people who are going to represent our views in Ottawa. And, and uh, Marcus mentioned uh, Francis Droyne is one of them, and there's a few other smattering of people in the Liberal Party as well, um, as well as the people who will be in uh, the Conservative Party and the other parties uh, going to Ottawa, because I think everybody's voice is going to count um, in Ottawa at this time. We've got a couple of ideas. We've got a reception um, booked. Um, hopefully when they, then they're all arriving in Ottawa, the timing uh, works out and uh, that reception will be with uh, the grain growers of Quebec and uh, Atlantic Canada and, uh, and then we will also uh, look at how our ad has uh, played out, um, whether we need to continue with those kinds of efforts um, and what, uh, what actions we take place to just keep this on the agenda of the public as well as the politicians. Marcus, uh, do you have any thoughts on what you think our first actions should be? 
Well, I think, as I said before, uh, we have to put out a common message uh, to everybody to make sure that uh, we're heard and that we are understood within our message that we're putting out, uh, that we show our, uh, our needs, that, that agriculture should have uh, basically representation within the government and uh, that the uh, right officials are in place to take that forward on our behalf. And so it becomes important that we work with the right people. And uh, like I said before, I'm certainly looking forward a lot to see who our agriculture minister will be to uh, make sure that uh, we uh, we come out heavy enough with them and uh, that they can bring all the issues forward for, for us. Now, uh, we do have to also remember that uh, we are engaged in some national fronts with, uh, with some organizations that uh, we rely on heavily. And uh, we, I'm certainly hoping that they're going to be working on our behalf also. It shouldn't just uh, be downloaded all to provincial levels because uh, federal or uh, national organizations do have their main part to work in that too. And uh, they all have to, to think on a common strategy that it actually fits well for the, uh, the ones that are hurting at the moment. And uh, I think there's still a bit of work that needs to get done because at this point, a divide is the, our biggest enemy. So uh, I think we have to to make sure that there is a bit more understanding around what uh, the Ontario um, farmer is needing for uh, to to continue farming the way they need to and uh, and not have roadblocks in our way that uh, stop us doing of uh, progressing in our future of our businesses. And Barry, what are your thoughts on that? Understanding who we need to work with going forward, who we need to, you know, uh, make familiar with um, with GFO in the new MPs, uh, because there are a number of uh, new MPs. I think the reception that Deb mentioned is, um, is the beginning of that. Uh, and uh, I think it's getting on the, uh, on the hill, uh, visiting with these guys and, uh, and gals and letting them know who... Uh, who GFO is and what our issues are. All right. Well, that was a great discussion. There's definitely a lot to think about with a new government, and we'll have an interesting few months ahead, interesting few years ahead. Uh, so thank you, Marcus, Barry, and Deb all for joining us. Thank you for listening to our Grain Talk podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash grain talk. A special thank you to our guests this week, Marcus Hurl, Barry Senf, and Deb Conlon. If you like what you've heard today, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And remember, five-star reviews help us grow our audience.